Chapter 15 of Sir Titus Salt Baronet His Life and Its Lessons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Sir Titus Salt Baronet His Life and Its Lessons by Robert Belgarney. Chapter 15 his daily life far better understood in deeds than words was simply doing good so calm so constant was his rectitude that by his loss alone we know his worth and feel how good a man has walked with us on earth whittier after mr salt's retirement from parliament he resumed his former duties at salt air and bradford but his frequent attacks of gout prevented him from taking that prominent part in business which he had done in former years he was however fortunate in having associated with him in the firm those whose practical knowledge was invaluable and who by a division of labour and cordial cooperation amongst themselves were well able to carry on successfully the work of the establishment still the head of the firm was always consulted and received at their hands that respectful deference to which he was justly entitled true he was often slow in forming a judgment on matters submitted to his decision and their patience had sometimes to be exercised but if the working of his mind was slow he was always prompt in execution it has been said that when his mind was made up to any given course it was impossible to turn him from it this was true as a rule but it had its exceptions some of these have already been mentioned and one other instance may here be recorded it happened at the time when several large manufactories were converted into joint stock companies limited and employees were permitted to invest their savings and to share in the profits mr salt was at first enamoured of such a scheme as one likely to promote sympathy and goodwill between master and workman he therefore cherished the resolution of adopting it at salt air but the other members of the firm offered strong objections to the scheme happily a middle course was ultimately taken which was mutually satisfactory the employees were placed on piecework which gave them a direct interest in the produce of their labours without any pecuniary risk thus while mr salt's resolution was abandoned the principal in question was retained and the works that bear his name remained under the sole control of the firm at the great exhibition of eighteen fifty one the manufacturers of bradford stood preeminent among the exhibitors of worsted textures but it was not until the exhibition of eighteen sixty two that a collective display of local products took place then bradford was declared by the jurors to stand unrivalled especially in alpaca and mohair for which a medal of the highest class was awarded to the salt air firm when the paris exhibition of eighteen sixty seven was in course of construction the imperial commissioners established a new order of reward for establishments erected with a view to the welfare of the persons engaged in them the money value of the prize amounted to one hundred thousand francs 
as saltaire had to become known throughout the country as a model town the firm was urged to enter into competition and the chances of success were said to be decidedly in their favor but mr salt declined the proposal as the correspondence on the subject serves to throw light on its character we therefore present it here copy of correspondence with henry cole esq c b secretary and executive commissioner of the paris industrial exhibition etc submitted to a friend by mr salt dear sir what has been attempted at saltaire arose from my own private feeling and judgment without the most remote idea that it would become a subject of public interest and inquiry a sense of duty and responsibility has alone actuated me and i would have avoided publicity but for the representations made in the following correspondence thirty first december eighteen sixty six sir the imperial commissioners for the paris exhibition have established a new order of reward for establishments promoting the welfare of the persons engaged in them and it has been suggested by the national association for the promotion of social science that your establishment could afford in a high degree the information which the imperial commissioners desire to elicit i have the honor to send to you the documents relating to this new order and to express a hope that you may see fit to fill up the questions and return them to me and i desire to remark that under any circumstances the collection of this information and its publication seem calculated to be of general public benefit i have the honor to be sir your obedient servant henry cole secretary and executive commissioner to titus salt esq saltaire saltaire bradford january twenty second eighteen sixty seven to henry cole esq c b dear sir it would afford me much pleasure to place in the hands of the imperial commissioners the results that have attended the establishment of saltaire i cannot however do so as a competitor for any prize or to be subject to the arbitrament of a jury the memoranda of these necessary illustrations can be readily furnished if in these terms you think the information i could supply would be of service to the imperial commissioners or benefit the public i have the honor to be dear sir yours truly titus salt twenty third january eighteen sixty seven dear sir i cannot doubt that the information about salt air would be useful to the public and i hope you will send it coupled with the conditions you mention about not being a competitor yours faithfully henry cole titus salt esq if the answers given to the questions of their imperial commissioners or if any of the facts which experiment or experience have elicited prove of benefit to the public and should lead others to adopt and enable them to surpass the result of my effort i shall be thankful for myself i can enter into no competitive rivalry for well-doing and the particulars and illustrations furnished of the establishment of saltaire are placed at the service of his imperial majesty's commissioners on the distinct understanding that they are not given in competition for any prize nor subject to the arbitrament of a jury i have the honor to be dear sir very truly yours titus salt 
In the above correspondence will be seen the high moral principle that influenced Mr. Salt in declining to become a competitor on this occasion. To some, the prize of four thousand pounds might have been a strong inducement to enter the lists, especially when the chances of success were in his favour. But was he not right in affirming that competitive rivalry for well-doing towards his fellow-creatures was not a matter for human tribunals to touch? Was not the spirit thus manifest worthy both of the man and the Christian? Surely, when any one acts from such high motives as the glory of God and the love of men, he can afford to wait, in the assurance of a higher verdict and reward, even this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. The questions contained in the schedule sent were carefully answered and forwarded to Paris. For the most part, they relate to the arrangements for the material, moral, and intellectual well-being of the workmen, the substance of which has already been given to the reader. We shall therefore only present the medical report appended to the schedules and forwarded at the same time to the Imperial Commission. High-class work and good wages have brought together a large number of first-class workpeople and mechanics, whilst the comfortable homes and houses provided for them have awakened, in the minds of the people, that home feeling which has led them to tastefully and neatly decorate their dwellings, a very sure sign of social happiness. Every medical man and visitor amongst the poor very well knows how such things combine to prevent vice and disease, and how much they renovate and cheer the sick, give a higher tone, and tend to develop the mental stature of the people themselves. This is a most important point. A man in a dirty house is like a beggar in miserable clothing. He soon ceases to have self-respect, and when that is gone, there is but little hope. In almost every house at Saltaire, some form of musical instrument is found, and indeed the choral and glee societies, together with the bands, have become household names. A large number of the skilled workmen devote their leisure hours to scientific amusement, such as natural history, taxidermy, the making of philosophical instruments, such as air-pumps, models of working machinery, steam-engines, and articles of domestic comfort, whilst some have even manufactured organs and other musical instruments. There is no public house in salt air. Thus, with comfortable houses, and every inducement to stay at home, with literary and social institutions in their very midst, with high-class tastes, and, to crown all, a beautiful temple to the worship of God, it would be strange indeed had Saltaire not a reputation and a name. The erection of baths and wash-houses has been a great advance. Cleanliness is the great condition of health, whilst the removal of whole masses of damp clothes from the streets and of the steam of washing-tubs from the houses greatly conduces to the health and comfort of the inhabitants. Indoor washing is most pernicious, and a fruitful source of disease, especially to the young. The diseases peculiar to poverty are almost unknown in salt air, namely typhoid fever, rheumatic fever, and cutaneous affections. An accident infirmary and dispensary is erected, 
so that patients will be spared that great source of danger to life, hemorrhage, during the transit to a distant hospital. Hitherto there has not been a single death from this cause. The writer, from his medical duties, has been constantly in the town, day and night, and can bear testimony to the great absence of drunkenness, whilst in many of the houses no spirits are kept, except on the approach of a confinement. There is a remarkable absence of certain diseases. During the visitation of cholera to this country, a system of disinfecting and deodorizing by means of the application of carbolic acid and chloride of lime to the drains, ash pits, privies, and sinks was carried out. The carbolic acid was given to anyone who would mix it with lime for the purpose of whitewashing. The result was remarkable. No case of cholera occurred, and even an immunity from typhoid fever and other autumnal diseases was experienced. Having thus drawn attention to the general moral and physical condition of the people, it would be well to look at the other side of the question, and mark the direction which progress is still to be made. The prevalent diseases in manufacturing districts are typhoid fever and thysis. These are, therefore, the most common forms of serious ailment at salt air. To get rid of consumption from the disease list is almost, if not quite, impossible. For persons of different temperament, constitutional vigor and age, often carelessly clothed, leave home early in the morning, generally without partaking of food, and this in all kinds of weather and seasons, and that, too, in our irregular and often inclement northern climate, consumption must and will result. The question involved is rather one that rests upon the people themselves than one in which masters can interfere. The work people can only be taught that warm clothing instead of finery, good food and regular hours, combined with home sanitary regulations, are necessary to keep down this terrible malady. Much is accomplished at salt air to prevent the disease by having the works erected close to the town, so that there is really no excuse for the workpeople going to their work in wet clothes, and further by the mills and sheds being thoroughly well lighted, warmed, and ventilated. With regard to typhoid fever, it is otherwise, although from this cause very few deaths have occurred. This is a disease which can be kept down by sanitary regulations. What precautions, then, are necessary? 1. An absolute restriction to prevent overcrowding by lodgers in any one house. Let a proper number of cubic feet be allowed to each inmate, and on no pretense whatever ought this rule to be evaded. 2. A system of ventilation with which the inmates cannot interfere. Instances have occurred in which it has been purposely obstructed. 3. The system of drainage of salt air is thorough and complete. Bell traps to sinks, if fixed, become choked, and if unfixed, are removed and often lost. Siphons in the drains do not always prevent the back current from them, for the night soil is preserved in ash pits, as at salt air, for agricultural purposes. A system is required for removing it without annoyance to the people. Recently, an admirable plan has been adopted by which the inhabitants are compelled to empty their dust and ashes into the closets, so that the odor is constantly mixed with the best of disinfectants, finely divided carbon, and dry earthy matter. 
This ought everywhere to be done. Provision is made for the adoption of every sanitary improvement. A few of the lessons to be learned at Saltair have been briefly pointed out, and though others might be given, these will probably suffice. Signed, Samuel Rind, LRCP, Edinburgh, MRCS, London, Scholar in Anatomy and Physiology. Such was the medical report forwarded to Paris, which we have given at length, because it will enable the reader to see what pains Mr. Salt had taken for the welfare of his workpeople, also the success that followed. But let it not be forgotten that at the time Saltaire was erected, sanitary science was comparatively in its infancy, so that his views were then far in advance of the age, and even now are not a whit behind it. According to the express condition on which the information was sent, no reward was expected. But the Emperor of the French signified his high appreciation of the superiority of this model town by conferring on its founder the Legion of Honor. Among many facts contained in the above report, not the least interesting is that which relates to the absolute prohibition of public houses on the estate. Mr. Salt had strong reasons for the adoption of such a course. During the year of his mayoralty of Bradford, he had been deeply affected by the large number of cases brought before him in his magisterial court as the palpable results of intemperance. And when cholera raged in the borough, he had seen that many of the poor who had fallen victims to the malady were also the victims of strong drink. We remember him returning from the Aziza at Leeds, where he had sat on the grand jury, and expressing his horror at the fearful catalogue of crime there brought before his notice, and the emphasis with which he said, Drink and lust are at the bottom of it all. He would, therefore, have been unfaithful to his own moral convictions had he not passed this prohibitory bill on his own property when the decision rested solely with himself, and no act of Parliament was needed to enforce it. It was with paternal solicitude for the moral and physical health of his people he resolved that no public house should be planted in their midst. That the course he adopted was wise and beneficial to the town is amply confirmed by the foregoing report. It is true that on the confines of salt air public houses have since been erected, but for these he was not responsible. Indeed, to prevent them was beyond his power. Still, we hold that the course he adopted and continued is worthy of the highest commendation. Shall we not also say, worthy of imitation on the part of proprietors placed in similar circumstances? At all events, the above fact may be regarded as his emphatic protest against the greatest evil that affects the nation. Having thus prohibited public houses in salt air, he felt that it was an incumbent duty to provide every facility in his power for the moral and physical welfare of the community. The salt air club and institute was, therefore, established at an expense of £25,000. As this building is, perhaps, the most unique of its kind in the country, a description of it will be interesting to our readers. It is situated on the east side of Victoria Road, and, like the schools, immediately opposite, stands back forty feet from the line of the street. 
the space in front is tastefully laid out in flower beds with a broad walk leading up to the entrance at the north and south angles of the enclosure two massive sculptured lions present a striking feature it will be remembered that in front of the schools and occupying a corresponding position other two lions are placed representing vigilance and determination the two in front of the institute represent war and peace the whole of the figures being the work of mr t milnes approaching the main entrance the appearance of the building is that of a university college it consists of three floors the basement being built of stone and in the italian style of architecture over the entrance figures are placed representing art and science thus indicating the purpose to which the building is devoted a tower rises in the centre and terminates in the form of an angular cone let us enter the vestibule the reading-room opens on the left the dimensions of which are fifty-three feet by thirty-five feet this apartment is fitted up with every convenience and supplied with the daily papers and current literature the library is situated on the right hand with a classroom adjoining further on to the left are a large cloakroom lavatory etc and at the end of the vestibule fronting the main entrance is the splendid lecture hall measuring ninety feet by sixty feet and forty feet high with seating accommodations for eight hundred persons the platform is thirty-five feet wide the hall is decorated with a refinement of taste such as is seldom seen in a public building it is known as the victoria hall here first-class concerts are frequently held and lectures and entertainments given in the upper story the front part is occupied on the left by two rooms as the school of art one being elementary and the other more advanced these rooms are supplied with models drawings and every appliance and means necessary for the cultivation of art parallel with the art department on the right is a handsome billiard room fifty-three feet by thirty-five feet furnished with four tables on the same story there is also the committee room in the basement is a lecture room forty feet by thirty-five feet with the accommodation for two hundred persons and which is used for scientific purposes connected with this is a laboratory supplied with all the instruments and apparatus requisite in scientific demonstrations a complete set of instruments is provided for each student in attendance a valuable clock constructed by mr george salt was presented by him to the institute these two schools of art and science are in connection with the south kensington science and art department on the left side of the corridor is a classroom measuring thirty-one feet by twenty-six feet with curator's house adjoining passing onwards the room on the left is allotted to bagatelle that on the right is used as a lavatory further on to the right is the classroom to the left the armory where the arms of the saltair corps are kept adjoining the armory is the gymnasium and drill room fifty-seven feet by sixty feet and eighteen feet high the hall is fitted up in the most complete style with with trapeze horizontal bars hurdles 
in fact with everything necessary for muscular development. The fees for membership are almost nominal, ranging from two shillings to sixpence per quarter. The constitution of the Institute is, of course, disassociated from any religious or political party, and is open to all who choose to avail themselves of the benefits which it offers. The aims and objects sought by the founder of this magnificent building will be gathered from the following address by Mr. Titus Salt, Jr., delivered when it was opened. The Saltaire Club and Institute, as the name indicates, is to be, in the first place, a social club, and secondly, an educational institute. It is intended to supply the advantages of a public house without its evils. It will be a place to which you can resort for conversation, business, recreation, and refreshment, as well as for education, elementary, technical, and scientific. After careful inquiry into the constitution of various mechanics institutes, the conclusion has been arrived at that they do not meet the wants of the working class during the hours of leisure, namely, from the fact that of their being almost purely educational societies, and of their presenting to only a very limited extent means of social intercourse and healthy relaxation, in the belief that it is guide to be merry and wise, provision is made in the constitution of the Salt Air Club and Institute for innocent and intelligent recreation, which it is intended should occupy a place almost as prominent as that accorded to the means of mental culture. The accommodation provided in the building is as follows. 1. Reading room. 2. Library. 3. Laboratory. 4. Class and draft rooms. 5. Smoking room. 6. Billiard room. 4. Tables. 7. Bagatelle room. 3. Tables. 8. Lecture hall. 9. Lecture theater. 10. School of art. 11. Various classrooms. 12. Curator's House, 13. Gymnasium and Rifle Room, Lavatories, etc. It is intended that agencies and appliances of various kinds, both for recreation and instruction, shall be brought into operation, with the view of making the institution both attractive and useful. The building will, in the first instance, be furnished at my father's expense, and will be occupied by the committee at a nominal rent. The charges for membership are fixed as low as possible, so that all who wish may be able to avail themselves of the advantages of the new institution. The committee of management will consist of eight members appointed by the firm, and an equal number appointed by the present members of the Saltaire Literary Institute. Of the committee thus formed, eight will retire at the end of the first half-year, four from each class. The institution will be purely unsectarian, and free from any political bias. Its ruling principle should be the broadest charity among its members. The object to be aimed at is the greatest good for the greatest number, and no one should seek membership without the selfish object of promoting alone his own pleasure or advantage without due regard to the wishes of others. In conclusion, I would express my father's earnest desire that the Saltaire Club and Institute may long supply rational relaxation to those whose honest labor has best fitted them for its enjoyment. 
and that it may for very many years furnish means of advancement in what is good noble and virtuous to the inhabitants of the town which he has built and which is so closely associated with his fortunes and his name the mind of man is the world's true dimension and knowledge is the measure of the mind it will therefore be seen with what generosity of heart mr salt endeavoured to compensate his people for the absence of public houses and to promote their best welfare we have said that the sanitary conditions of salt air at the time of its erection was in advance of the age what shall be said of the educational institutions in connection with it they too were in advance so that when board schools were erected for the district the salt air schools were unnecessary but what then mr salt foreseeing the rapid strides education was likely to take in the future resolved to convert his own day schools together with the club and institute into higher grade schools for the promotion and encouragement of education in its advanced branches these premises have been left in the hands of a board of governors chosen by the ratepayers of shipley and henceforth will be known as the salt schools shipley provision has also been made for several exhibitions to be designated the salt scholarships and which are to be awarded according to merit as the result of competitive examination the value of the property thus bequeathed for educational purposes is not less than forty thousand pounds with regard to religious instruction and moral training it is provided that the teachers shall not endeavour to inculcate or controvert the doctrines of any sectarian religious creed but shall strive to instil into the minds of the scholars such views and principles as will improve their habits elevate their moral tone and give them a true appreciation of those mutual obligations in all human relations on which the welfare of mankind is based it being intended that the duty of providing distinctively theological instructions shall be left to the parents or guardians of other institutions that have sprung up at saltair since its erection we must notice the dining hall which is situated opposite the works it was started on the glasgow penny dinner system a fixed tariff is published for which the following is a specimen a good plate of meat tuppence a cup of tea or coffee halfpenny a bowl of soup one pence the workpeople who prefer to bring their own food may have it cooked and dining accommodation free of charge the manager of the establishment has a fixed salary independently of the profits so that all temptations to stint the allowance is avoided the crumbs that fall from the table are sold to the feeders of pigs by which the sum of fifty pounds a year is realized towards the funds of the dining hall there are also the following a fire brigade a horticultural society which has its annual show a cricket club well known in yorkshire a brass band which in several musical contests has been successful a string and reed band a glee and madrigal society an angling association a cooperative and industrial society a coal society a funeral society 
and Men's and Women's Society for the Relief of the Sick. Honors be thine, whose active mind this earthly paradise designed. For double conquests kings may war, thine is a nobler conquest far. As rivers soon return in rain, so good deeds shall come back again. And thou shalt know within thy breast, who blesses shall himself be blessed. End of chapter 15